cheek. Well, look who's back. World-renowned podcast, Chic NYC. I am Melissa Rich. As always, I, like... I have been working. It's this wasn't a laziness break per se. It's like you know when you're just busy and lazy. I don't know. I I've been working. I promise. The the work was elsewhere, but I have been working. And also not working. I'm I'm right now I'm drinking a gorgeous yellow Red Bull which um you know is nectar of the gods. And I'm in a bit of recovery from a trip. I don't, I don't know how to say this, how to tell people this at all. But I'm, I've just arrived back from a cruise, a tradition, an actual cruise, a the mega bus of yachts, a cruise. And I guess it all started. I was in the bathtub. I get a text from my friend Millie saying we have a severe hookup for a cruise. I've I was real I'm very grateful for the deal I was given for said cruise. I'm not saying that I would never pay for a cruise. Maybe it would never be my first choice of a vacation. Also just generally like if I'm gonna pay to go somewhere like I'm gonna go to Europe, I'm gonna whatever. But like when this was put in front of me, I, there was no way I could say no. I also had literally nothing going on that week. Not all, almost nothing. So it was pretty easy to say yes. The cruise was Virgin Voyages, which is Sir Richard Branson's Virgin Airlines cruise. Virgin to me, it's the strangest company in the world. Um, the airlines, cell phones, what records, who knows, but I do trust him. And anytime I've flown Virgin, I have fucking loved it. So I figured this is going to be pretty, pretty good. Maybe not cool per se, but I knew it wasn't going to be a fucking carnival cruise. And you know what? It wasn't. We left from Miami, flew in super early you know, we're waiting to get on the boat. It's a bit of a fiasco if you've been on a cruise. Like, the whole, like, boarding and you got, have to go to, like, an emergency thing that, you know, tells you how to use a life jacket, whatever. The rooms were amazing. You know, a balcony looking out to the water with a hammock. I fall asleep vaping in the hammock. Which I have to tell you, in the time that we have not spoken. I have both started and stopped vaping, which is crazy. This was like a part of culture that I was super proud to not be a part of. Like I was like, so pleased with myself. Oh, I cough every time I hit a jewel. I can't get in this habit. You know what I mean? All of a sudden I stop and I realize not only are these delicious, this is, it's literally like a hookah on the go that I can carry around. So I got completely addicted to them. And then, I don't know, at some point on the cruise, I just like stopped doing it. And now I'm just like, again, not, which I don't know what I'm trying to prove and to whom, but here we are. So we settle in a little bit. We do the emergency thing. We're about to like pull out from Miami. The ship's going to like leave. So they do this like party where they give everyone free champagne. 
we did have to pay for booze the whole time. I'll tell you that. And so we were taking full advantage of this free, you know, garbage Prosecco that they were handing us. Delicious garbage Prosecco. And this kind of set the tone, I think, for how the boat received us. It's really strange when you go on a cruise because you kind of develop this society, inescapable society, that's different than like you're at a resort or at a hotel with people at the same time. Like your your vacation is the same length. You arrive at the exact same time. You leave at the exact same time. And there's just something different about all moving together, I think, that creates this absolute you know, hierarchy, you're making friends, you're making enemies. It's truly a unique experience. So I think us absolutely going for it from the second the boat started really set the tone. And I think it was, you know, some people loved us, some people could not handle the chaos that we answered, could not handle chaotic women, if that makes sense. So, you know, we, we were really getting the party going and I think contributing a lot, community service to the party. The moms were loving it. We're dancing in the pool, kind of giving people permission to get wild. The next day we're at sea and, you know, part of the charm of the cruise is the, the noise, the loudness, you know, you're, we were at the pool kind of in the morning and there was kind of like some random like trance music or whatever. All of a sudden at like one or something, the same DJ from the party with the champagne comes to DJ at the pool all day. So you're in it. They're like, you don't have to party, but we will create a party for you if you'd like. So there were these guys who had a bottle of Patron, you know, some kind of like older, probably like early forties, like, businessmen. They ended up being from Chicago. Their wives are, you know, mad at them for partying and whatever. And everyone at the pool sees that and they're like, okay, good. We order a bottle of Patron and everyone's kind of like, oh boy. Like people are coming up to us the entire trip and like asking, oh my God, you guys have fun that day? And it was kind of like, why is this so hard for everyone to understand? Like we just literally got a bottle of tequila and had an amazing day at the pool. And it did feel that we were, you know, establishing dominance in some kind of way you know it was very it's just so funny to see a group of people interacting over the course of five days it was really fucking fun we went to mexico we did you know cozumel we did cenotes and playa del carmen bimini in the bahamas was gorgeous if i do a sex vacation that is where i will do it Like, you know, you want to go somewhere where there's like, you know, there's not nightlife. You can't do it in like Tulum or something where there's like shit to do and see. Like, you got to do it somewhere where it's like beach, hotel, you know, cute little restaurant on the beach that you go to and you're just having sex all day. So that was gorgeous. Food, check. Really great. There was not a restaurant where I was like, no, the food was bad. And it's, you know, as a crazy, it's tough on a cruise. You really come face to face with your eating habits. There's nowhere to hide. Everything's available to you. You really see what you're made of. And I ate steak every day. That's where I landed. It was, it was crazy. But like all really good food. And it's so, it's so insane. It did make me feel terrible. I was like, the amount of food on this boat is 
Wow. So that's my cruise. I mean, it was, it was gorgeous. It was lovely. And then ended in a beautiful way because we landed back in Miami and where my friend Millie, Millie Tamara, is who I'm talking about, amazing comedian, she is from Hollywood, which like my relationship with Miami is, um, I, like, I feel like I have like, you know, and they say like new relationship energy. Like I'm so thrilled every time I get to go there and I've mainly been, you know, Miami Beach, South Beach, like I'm always staying in South Beach. Millie is from Hollywood, which I would equate it with like Queens to New York. And she rents a red Mustang convertible and we just fucking cruise around and I'm meeting her fun ass family, different hair salons, restaurants. It was just a blast. I got an amazing pedicure. We had, you know, a meeting her sister-in-law. We had, we just had an amazing time. And going out in downtown Hollywood was fucking fun. Like it has, it doesn't have the kind of pretension of South Beach. It's like everyone just wants to have a good time. It's less chaotic. It's, um, the places they took me to, they knew that I wanted to them extremely corny to me, like fun. I'm like, I want a bachata. I want to like dance and, you know, be fighting off guys in suits. And that's what it was. It was gorgeous. Literally at the time of my life. So that's what I'm coming back from. And, uh, part of the reason why I have not recorded. I guess if there was anything that could bring me back to the podcast, it would be the the farce of a gala that we saw last night. I'm almost at the point now where it's like, is this just a dead event? I know it's not fully, but I'm like, is this event just now like a bit embarrassing? In the way that like, I think our relationship with celebrity changed during COVID being the, you know, the Vanessa Hudgens, everyone's people are going to die. The imagine video, the out of touch footage of celebrity homes and travel and whatever that just kind of made everyone go, fuck you. And just kind of opened our eyes to the blandness of these people that we've been worshiping, especially I think when it comes to actors, because we don't want to know actors for who they are. We want to know them for work. So when we're exposed to who they actually are, it's usually jarring in a boring way. And I think that's what we witnessed was just uncool celebrities who are either too scared to make a choice or not scared enough. And this event where there's kind of just no stakes. It's like the only people holding anyone accountable are like, you know, we're all trolling online or whatever. And they're expecting that. So maybe effective, maybe not. It's just like, it should be, there maybe needs to be some rules. Like if you don't follow the theme, you can't come back next year. Or if you don't just, if you don't dress, if you don't do it right, like you should be working to keep your place at this event. That's supposed to be for like important people. 
these are not like the cool kids. These are not the great thinkers of our time anymore. Maybe it was at one point. I don't know. It's just truly, I think they were trying to throw them a softball this year and be kind of like, okay, camp was too difficult. Camp was a disaster. What's a a straightforward, nothing left to interpretation theme that everyone's stylist can get behind and these people can show up in something, you know, that doesn't take too much thought. Literally a TV show showing you how to do this this year. And what do we see? Five bustles. Maybe five. Put on a fucking bustle. Especially, you know, the girls... I was with my friend Larry Owens last night. The flappers were what really were, you know, the most distressing. First of all, flapper is not gilded. It's not even the right time period. Second of all, if you're like a skinny white actress, probably dying for like a huge juicy ass, this is your moment to put on a dress that gives you a huge juicy ass. You're welcome. This is... Here you go. Opportunities missed. I loved, I think, <laughs> maybe my favorite look. And, you know, someone might turn off the podcast because of this. I loved Nikki. Nikki Minaj wearing a full-blown baseball hat. Bustle, big, corset, tits up, you know, that's all working. The hat, the headband, fine. I'm not really a headband girl. I think it's more of a personal, you know, I'm in a baseball hat phase right now. In my gilded era, I'm wearing a lot of hats. It was just, for me personally, gorgeous. And, of course, the other girls who did it right, Doja, Megan, Cardi. They all get it. They all get it. Show up. Just show the fuck up. Oh, God. I don't, like... Similar to my vaping crisis is the Kardashians. And my involvement with them just feels like a similar process where I'm like, well, this isn't good for me tuning in or caring about. This is not healthy. This is not eating vegetables. This is a habit that I'm not proud of. And I've gone in waves of it where... You know, the first episode of the show premiered and I was, you know, a bit intrigued. But as time goes on and as I continue paying attention to them, they're just, it's less enticing the more you watch. They'll get you with a moment and then you just remember like, oh yeah, this is fucking boring, you know, toast without butter. It's just that they're not really exciting people. There's things I like about it. There's things I like about their relationships with each other and like things that I find funny or entertaining. But at the end of the day, it's just, it's not there. And each of their looks, I mean, it just, it has to, I don't know what (laughs) the Kylie backwards snap hat wedding dress. I get it. It's Virgil Abloh. 
Chloe is the most confusing to me because it just looks like Kim's dress, which obviously has the history. A lot of people are like, oh, Kim's dress, not on theme. Marilyn Monroe's literal dress. Fine. I'll bite. That is Gilded Glamour. It is gold. It is legacy. It is history. I accept. The Tom Brown, Courtney Travis. I don't know about that. I don't know what the plan is there. A blouse. It just feels somewhat disrespectful. Obviously, Kendall, like, the most kind of on track. But, like, bleaching her eyebrows for some reason. Whatever. It's just... I don't know. The whole thing feels disrespectful. I did like Kim showing up hours after the family as to um, distinguish herself from them. I don't want to talk for too long about the Kardashians, but here we go. So, (laughs) the fact that they are sharing a $9 billion salary, or nine-figure, I'm sorry, nine-figure dollars... You know what I mean? And they are not paying for music. It's very selling sunset. I think there's, you know, you see when it's a non-Bravo reality show, it's a little bit, it's just different. Bravo is really committed to their own style and feel and, you know, humor in the edits. And it's not there with, you know, something like a selling sunset or the Kardashians. So there's this, you know, music with lyrics, royalty free that I'm, I was shocked that the Kardashians have chosen. (laughs) It's insane. Like take some of that money and pay for music. What the fuck? The first episode I found fun because it was high drama. It's new. The drones did not like, it made me almost physically sick. But I think that was, they've bailed on some of the choices that were just in the pilot. Jones being one of them. I thought, too, they were doing something really fun with the confessionals, which was they, you know, two of the girls would be talking and then they'd cut to another one going, that's not what happened. Actually, it's this. So the confessional would interrupt the moment. And I hadn't seen that on reality TV before. And I thought that was cool. But of course, gone. I don't know. It's... It's like I'm into it for a second and then Scott Disick comes on talking about how he is, you know, wants a real relationship but can't date a woman over 25. Him literally struggling to fathom dating girls. So, eh, I don't know if I could date a girl who was 30. Like, oh my God. It's just like, at the end of the day, I don't like billionaires. I don't think there's any excuse for them having multiple billionaires in the family and doing literally nothing to benefit society. Just... It's, you know, it's absolute trash. Sure, Kim's a lawyer. She's, you know, doing what she's doing fine. Something I'm going to personally investigate and, you know, watch the space. In maybe the first or second season of Keeping Up with the Kardashians, they take in a homeless man for, like, an afternoon and, like, literally give him a makeover. His name was Shorty. And... Obviously, now at this point, we know that much of reality TV, I don't think Bravo as much, but Selling Sunset for sure, you know, they they cast people, like literal, I'm sure, casting directors, 
go in and hire people for these. And I'm sure Shorty was that. And it came back around on Twitter a couple years ago. Everyone's like, what happened to Shorty? And I think Chloe literally tweeted like, oh my God, I, we saw Shorty like on the side of the highway or like something like it's just all really despicable. I'm sure he was casted. But still, it's like the mockery of charity in any way. And sure, maybe they don't, maybe they whatever, but it's at the end of the day, despicable, but one of the, unfortunately for me, most somehow they pull me back in and it sucks, but it truly a, a huge flop for all of them, I think. And the, the blonde with Ken, I would have much rather seen whatever, whatever. In in the midst of it all, and I think like it was just kind of this like cruel, yet completely appropriate like if life was being written moment of the Supreme Court <laughs> news arriving on Twitter at the same time as all of this is going on. And for me, weird because I was at my friend Carolina's house where. I was the night where Ruth Bader Ginsburg died as well. So kind of an odd full circle moment for me personally. It was just bizarre in the worst way. And it seemed, you know, when like stuff happens in your life where you're like, okay, I get it. It's like, oh, this is what we're all focusing on. Okay, cool. Yeah, message received. I don't know. It's so fucked. It's also fucked. And. Yeah. It's so funny and awful too. Kind of how. The. Feeling of everything's fucked. Feeds into. The other stuff. Like I just talked about the Kardashians for 10 minutes. As I'm having a personally chaotic month. You know. It's my dad's birthday. The anniversary of his death coming up. It's just that, you know, it's a it's a tense, fraught time for me. And what am I watching? Tons of reality TV. Kardashians selling Sunset. I'm And, and sue me on that because I'm not going to not watch the new season of Selling Sunset. It's, you know, to, to see a relationship that you know is going to end, start, play out, all of it. Like, sorry, I cannot. That show in particular, too, gives me this odd, like, uncanny valley feeling. Like, looking at all of them, like, this to me is the most obviously... It's almost like watching a play. Like, it's so obviously, um, you know, set up and, like, written in some ways. Like, Christine, I think, should, should have an Emmy. She knows the character. She's built the character. She imagines, you know, what would Christine say. Like, she's... She's truly committed. And the weirdest part I think about the new season is Chelsea, who I think, like, when I look at her, I get the, like, I almost want to, like, you know, that, so it was some movie and it was tested in front of kids. It was an animated movie and one of the characters was too human-like or something like that and the kids all cried every time this character was on screen that's how I feel when Chelsea comes on screen it's like no no like the discomfort of the uncanny valley I experience it full force also like I don't know any British people who like 
openly like identify themselves as British verbally and like talk about themselves being British and like whatever. Like they're usually, yeah, I got, you know, she's like, how many black British people do you know? Like, I don't think this woman is British. I think that she is probably a regular actor in LA who was thrown into this. The way she was handling a baby when she and Christine meet up, I was like, that's not her baby. Like all of it is just too fucking bizarre and fine. You know, whatever. I'm here for it. I'm going to watch it. It's also the first black person I think that's ever been on the show. So great. But it is fucking weird this year. I haven't finished the season or anything, but I am, I am tuned in. I did a show a few weeks ago for my dad's birthday and it was unlike any show that I've done in that it wasn't stand-up, it wasn't a character, it wasn't like totally scripted, something I'd written. It was generally a music show. He was a big Dave Matthews guy. I've wanted to do some sort of cabaret for a long time and a Dave Matthews cabaret just sounded like a fun sentence to say. So I had a lot of friends step up, mostly my friend Larry, and he sang every song that I picked. I put together a full band. It was so, I mean, I started just kind of being like, okay, how do I not lose a ton of money doing this? And at the end of the day, it really didn't matter. Because to have a full band is one of the most joyous, fun things you can ever do in your life. So at the end of the day, I was, I truly went nuts. At first I was like, oh, let me just do, you know, violin and piano and um, saxophone, whatever. And uh, by the end of the day, it was, you know, full fucking band. And, and I do not regret it for a second. It was, it was unreal. It was, I, <laughs> I think I still haven't processed it, to be honest. It was my friend David Odyssey did an amazing reading. I was telling stories, doing readings. It was nice to be, if I'm speaking, you know, from an artistic standpoint, I enjoyed being binder girl. Here's my things that I wrote. And here I am reading it from a binder and performing. Pretty cool. I loved that. It felt a little bit more dignified than the clowning that I've been doing for eight years. So we shall see. Still obviously doing stand-up. And if you're listening to this tomorrow night, whomst? The Sultan Room. This is actually a show I'm very excited about. My friend Ben Leary and I conceptualized it um, at Unter, which we went back to this weekend and it was fucking fabulous. Per usual, I stayed till, I don't know, seven o'clock alone after all my friends left. To rave alone is truly one of life's gifts. It's not something I do a lot, but it was something I did a lot before I moved here. And I think it's like one of my ways to, you know, really get in touch with myself, get in there, see what's really going on. And it was beautiful. So anyway, it's a conceptual show in that um, you know, it's a, it's a nightlife parody, a bit immersive. We're going to, you know, have the audience 
unable to get into the rave, yet we are at the rave and coming out and talking to the others. You know, it's going to be fun. It's going to be really cute. Um, the Sultan Room is um, my white whale of a venue. I've pitched many shows to them that have either gotten canceled because of COVID or, you know, the booker falls off. There's something else that night and they have to, they're like, oh, can you do it at 6 p.m.? And it's like, no, I cannot do it at 6 p.m. So I'm excited to be at this venue. It's going to be great. I'm almost done with the Molly Shannon memoir. And it's fabulous. If you're not aware of her story, wow, 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 strap in. I'm obviously not going to ruin the book, but it's right at the beginning. So I will say this and fast forward this if you don't want the spoiler, but it's not even a spoiler. She talks about it. Um, her father, that, the way I learned about the story is a bit different than it actually is. I heard, like, he was an alcoholic, he was drunk driving, and killed her mom, sister, and cousin. In reality, it had been a graduation party. He had been drinking during the day. He took a nap. He's going to drive the family home. He's like, I don't know if I should. I'm really tired. It's like a two-hour drive. And they're like, you're fine. Ultimately, you know, falls asleep at the wheel, whatever. It's a tragedy that I have never heard anything like. I think it's, you know, you hear Charlize Theron, alcoholic dad, ended up, she ended up shooting him because he was coming in to attack her and her mom. Like, there's all of these insane celebrity backstories, but this one just, it just hit different for whatever reason. I was, I was full crying while reading the book at multiple, multiple occasions. So she grows up with this really interesting relationship with her dad where it's very codependent. There's a lot of obvious fear of abandonment, his guilt over what happened. It's really interesting and it really shaped her as a performer, but I think it's almost his kind of eccentric, addictive behavior that like made her the performer that she is. A, he's very encouraging. There's no pushing for convention in any way. Um, oh, very supportive. My favorite story from the book, which she has told on, you know, TV and stuff, he kind of, like, dares her and her friend when they're, like, 11 to... Or he doesn't, he doesn't tell them to do it, but he talks about how the, the ultimate scheme is getting on a plane, like hopping a plane. So they decide to do it. They dress up in ballet clothes, pretend they're going to ballet class, and they get on a plane and go to New York. They're like 11. They call him from New York. They're like, we did it. We're in New York. He's like, what? And like, you know, obviously he's pissed. He's like, fuck, I gotta get you over to New York. But he's also like, eh, Molly, good job. You know, it's very, to me, it's like a very endearing and also complicated relationship that I think she does an amazing job of explaining. And then you get into, you know, the SNL stuff, and I'm not done with the book yet, but it's really, really fascinating to see the ways that she kind of implies the wisdom that her dad imparted on her about not following the rules and getting it, and kind of to get to SNL, to break into Hollywood. I will tell this story, and then I promise I won't ruin any more of the book. So she and her friend, who maybe is a well-known Hollywood guy now, but I'm not sure, 
they are trying to set up meetings. So trying to get agents, trying to get managers. They were working in casting, so they kind of knew the ins and outs, and they'd like both worked like a sales job before. So they kind of knew how to make calls and how the, the process worked. So they decide, they, they're like, who is the main guy that everyone respects, but no one talks to, no one is around? And of course, David Mamet. He like lives in Vermont. He's a New York guy. He's not going to Hollywood, but everyone, of course, you know, whenever there's like a purely New York person who's involved in Hollywood, everyone's like, oh, well, this is, you know, they don't respect anyone more than this, you know, New York person. So they both pretend to be his assistants and they set up meetings for each other. Like she's like, hey, this is Liz. Um, David is really excited for you to meet this actor he's been working with, blah, blah, blah. Sets up meetings. And they're like, oh my God, David, please you know, give him our, tell him he said hi, blah, blah, blah. So, and then he does the same for her. So that's how she was started booking. I think she got on Twin Peaks because of that. And I just think like, A, it speaks to the reality of the industry and what bullshit it is and how everyone's egos and um, fear of their own place and rise and fall um, affects what decisions are made. And I think it's beautiful sentiment to not take any of it seriously, fuck around as much as you can getting there and just, you know, figure it out in your own way. Don't be afraid to you know, break the rules, figure it out, scrounge your way. I just love that story. I thought it was so good. I also read Leah McSweeney's book and and I take it back. I listened to Leah McSweeney's book while I was driving to Pittsburgh in a fucking blizzard in April. Literally last week of April, I drive to Pittsburgh, full snow. I'm talking January, snow on the ground, white out. I'm driving, you know, windshield wipers on, going 35 miles an hour on the highway. It took me like nine hours. It was fucking insane. But I'm listening to Leah McSweeney's book. And it wasn't a lot of stuff that I didn't already know about her. I think the story of her starting Married to the Mob through her um, her ex Rob, who worked, owned, managed a life, and using the money that she got from her settlement when she was attacked by police officers. If you don't know that story, she's like literally I just saw it quick. She's leaving a rave. She's um, saying goodbye to you know a guy. I think they're making out. All of a sudden, he's like pulled away from her. She sees, like, cops, like, beating his ass. And she's like, what? And she throws a water bottle. She locks eyes with the cop. And she's like, fuck. And they literally, I think he punches her in the face. She spins around. Shoes fly off. Lands on the ground. And I don't know if they, like, stomp her head in or literally just, like, the force of falling knocks her teeth out. She remembers looking up. They, like, grab her. And I don't know if they, like, hit her again, but she sees all these people in this diner looking at her like oh my god and yelling like that's a girl like stop it you know whatever I think she's like taking to jail or whatever so somebody contacts her to get involved in a lawsuit which I think I've done this in restaurants I have friends who are kind of in a similar situation right now if someone contacts you to get involved in a lawsuit I think you fucking do it 
every time. She said she almost waited, like, the, she had to do it within a year, did it at the last minute, and got, like, $70,000 or something. So, it's always worth it. I've, I don't know what details I should share about this, but I got, like, a few grand because of a restaurant that I was working at doing things the wrong way. Thank you. Deserved. It was, you know, almost, it was similar to Kat Marnell's book in like, you know, troubled teen stories, which I relate to. I don't, I was not maybe at that level, but I was getting in trouble as a teen. I was just in the suburbs. So not as exciting, but I get it. I get these, you know, stories of rebellion and they're fun. It was a little exhaustive with hers and she's also very keen to talk about being in New York. I was in Chelsea. I had every restaurant and store at my fingertips. And then like her parents moved her to Connecticut and she gets kicked out of school. Which I do think she was unfairly kicked out and she talks about that and it's like it does suck. The funniest part to me was like the last chapter is kind of like her Joe Rogan chapter which she has come out. Like somebody asked like who her celebrity crush was and she said Joe Rogan for his mind. So that's where we're coming from. And she kind of has this whole like anti-cancel culture and like her kind of views on certain parts of feminism. It, she really goes off in the last chapter. I was like, wow, okay. Overall, fun read, quick, quick to listen to. I don't think I've discussed like the new wave of Roni that we're getting into either because it has been a minute. So if you haven't heard, Season 13 didn't even have a reunion. It was so bad. I don't know that that's ever happened in any franchise ever. They are, I think, going to recast from top to bottom. I think they're going to make, and I bet it will end up on Peacock, a kind of legacy show where it's, you know, the girls we know and love. It'll be Sonia, Ramona, Luann, the old girls. And they're calling it, I think... The Variety article said internally, you know, Roni legacy, Roni, whatever. They're not calling it like Roni old girls, but like, yeah. And then they're going to cast New York completely. And, and I think Leah will probably still be there, but who the fuck knows? If Leah is still there and they go downtown girls, that would be wild. I mean, to see... I doubt they'll get Julia Fox. I doubt they'll go for Kat Marnell, but that would be really interesting. I hope that they just don't make the mistake of... Well, here's the thing. Is, is it a mistake or not? Do we want to watch clueless Upper East Side girls like a young Bethany Frankel? Maybe. Even though it's not the people that I, like I want to know or hang out with necessarily. It's like... I'm interested to see the direction that they go. Because there does need to be some level of aspiration in a non-messy way for some of the cast. And then some of the cast has to be a little messy. So we'll see. We'll see where it goes. But I'm excited. And I trust Andy. You know, feels good to be back. Thank you for listening. If you want to get in touch, you can DM me at Melissa underscore rich underscore. 
Any questions, comments, fun parties, please let me know. You can also email me at melissarichnyc at gmail.com. I love you so much. Thank you for being here. And enjoy New York.